We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the Bee Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. So often we get bogged down in, you know, programs and paperwork and uh, policies and procedures. And at the end of the day, none of that matters if, if, you know, if you're not doing everything you can for your people and with your people and and remembering that they are human (laughs) and we are, you know, we are not, we're not unbreakable. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Liz Garden is the principal of the Dr. Leroy E. Mayo Elementary School in Holden, Mass. She's been an administrator for 14 years and taught at various levels for 11 years. She blogs regularly for her staff, at www.musingstomotivateblogspot.com. Liz is presented on various topics locally and nationally. She served on the Scholastic Principal Advisory Board. She's an editorial advisor for NAESP's Principal Magazine, which is the National Association of Elementary School Principals, and was elected to serve on NAESP's National Coronavirus Task Force. Liz is also the current vice president of MSAA, which is the Massachusetts School Administrators Association. When she's not molding future minds as an instructional leader, she's dealing with her reading addiction, keeping Amazon in business, listening to her musician husband sing, and chasing around her wild kids. I can't wait to talk to Liz because she's And we'll talk about a little later, I'm sure, about her challenge to me. But if it's books, if it's reading, if it's literacy, it is Liz. So welcome, (laughs) Liz. I'm I'm glad to have you here today. Thank you, Chris. I am pumped to be here with you today. (laughs) 
this is this is going to be a great conversation for anybody listening because of all your experience, you know, with presenting, with the reading piece and all that. So people are going to get a lot of value. What we I figured we could start with, though, seeing that you have that bio mm-hmm. is all that aside. What do you love about being a school leader? What gets you up in the morning and, and ready to come in? Mm. Well, I mean, you know, it, it is a part in my bio, that idea of shaping kids, molding kids' minds. Um, you know, that's from way back when I just, when I was first a paraprofessional at the start of my career, you know, that idea that it's such a huge responsibility. It's such a, um, you know, the brain is an amazing, amazing thing. And the fact that I get to, come to school every day and, you know, the kids that are in my charge, they leave us every day, having grown a little bit more, having become better humans. (laughs) Um, You know, I just, that's just like, I mean, why would you want to do anything else? (laughs) Can't even understand why somebody would do something else. I just, you know, that makes me wonder because, you know, leaders do say that and they say that the idea of being able to mold kids and help them be successful in the future. That's a a fantastic reason to come into work every day. And I know some teachers do that, but how do you elevate that as a leader for teachers? Like you've got all your teachers in your building and how do you go about getting them to buy into that as hardcore as you buy into it? Um, I think the the biggest piece, what has helped me over the years is that, you know, I walk the walk, I talk the talk, you know, um, I'm not coming in every day and saying to my teachers, Hey, it would be really great if you made these connections with kids, or if you, you know, challenged your kids to do this, or if you took your kids to a different level, I'm the one that's in there, you know, one, I'm modeling my interactions with my students, but I'm also always modeling with all the adults that I'm interacting with too. Um, You know, I feel like I've come into different schools and I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm like the closer, you know, um, I get brought in. It's like, you know, we could be in a tough situation and I've, I've been brought in to, to win the game. And so, you know, I take that mentality every day. And, and the way that I have done that is modeling and showing, you know, every second that like I elevate, I expect myself to be elevated and, and I, you know, and I push myself to like, you know, what's the next, what's the next bigger thing I can do? What's, how can I take it to another level? And then, you know, my teachers and my staff see that and I don't have to tell them to take it up the level. They're like, oh, well, you know what? Like she's going up. We got to go up too. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like that has worked well for me to kind of come in show them, um, in my, with my actions. And, you know, then it's like, um, then, and then I'm kind of recognizing once they, once I see somebody has kind of done something that, you know, I'm like, yes, that's what I wanted them to do. And they did it on their own. And then I recognize it and acknowledge it so that others can see, oh, okay, well she did it. Okay. I can do that. You know, I think that's, that's definitely what I try to do. That's awesome. And, and, you know, the whole idea, what you just said there, model, 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 and then people see it and they just act because there's, there's that expectation, right? Which we often ask teachers to do in the classrooms is to set high expectations and people can hit any expectation you set mm-hmm. as long as you support them. So I think it's important for leaders to, to recognize that. When we were talking before about your best accomplishments and, you know, accomplishments that you were really proud of, 
Um, and this is what really interests me is the idea of being able to pull people together. And you, you hit on this where you're kind of like the closer <laughs> creating a positive culture and climate that leads to significant change. Do you, do you have any stories that illustrate that for the listeners so they can maybe follow in those footsteps or a, a toolkit or anything like that? Oh yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> I always have, I always <laughs> have good stories. So, but I mean, I, you know, one of the ones that I, I would, I'm going to share with you that I am definitely extremely proud of, but took some time, uh, was in a previous district that I was in. Um, you know, I still remember the interview for that job where I was actually asked a question of, um, okay, we have teachers using three different curriculums for reading instruction. How are you going to make that work? And I said, I'm not. <laughs> um, and you know, they, they told me after the fact, they're like, you're the only one that, uh, answered that way. Um, and I said, you know, that that's ridiculous. So well, I would come in and we'd have to kind of start all over again is what we would be doing. And which is exactly what I did. You know, I, I was brought into a school and actually when I was hired, I was actually the assistant principal. Um, but then I moved into an interim principal role and then became the principal. So I was at the same school for seven years. So, you know, change takes a long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I can look back now and see that, you know, one of the things I did when I first came in was, Number one, it was clear that they needed to take a closer look at how they were rolling out their curriculum. And, you know, in this case, I'll just focus on the literacy piece. Um, and number two, the culture, culture was also something that needed to be worked on. Um, just communication between admin and teachers, communication between grade level teams, communication between special education and, and regular education, all of it needed work. Um, and then at the same time, People were teaching all different things. And so, so I came in and did a few things that were probably a little un, unconventional. Number one, there was a reading program that was being piloted. And so there was free materials, uh, but it was not a good reading program. So <laughs> I pulled all of those materials out of every classroom that had it and I sold it and I used that money to completely rebuild all the classroom libraries in the school um, because some rooms didn't even have a classroom library. Some rooms had books that were super old. So I started with that and I said, you know, we're going to, we're going to be redoing um, how we teach reading and, you know, we're not going to need these materials. So, um, and then I, I brought in a consultant and I, with some current staff, we walked around um, during reading instruction time and we just observed. And what we observed was number one, nobody was reading <laughs> like ever. Um, there were about three kids in a whole school of 500 who, if they finished their work, their reading work, um, they got to read. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so we made note of that. We also made note of the fact that, you know, there was still a lot, there was, you know, we still needed to do a lot of work on getting more books available. Um, and then the actual instruction that was happening was also that both in reading and writing, teachers weren't really teaching. They were, you know, kind of going through the motions of, you know, whatever program they had been kind of led to just kind of follow through. So when we talked as a team and as a school, I just shared those observations with the consultant. I said, you know, what do you think about this? During this, you know, hour block or hour and a half block, um, we saw three kids in the whole school reading and they were like, what? 
that can't be. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's, that's true. And I had other teachers with us. So those teachers were like, it's true. Like they, we were with them, you know, we saw the same thing. So that the, the first step was really just opening up everyone's eyes of like what was actually happening. And, you know, then we could start kind of saying, well, what do we, what are some of the, you know, things that we want to guarantee are happening? Well, number one, if we're teaching reading, <laughs> kids should be reading <laughs> or have the chance to practice reading or have books that they can be reading from. So, um, you know, that was a very easy one to kind of start making that transition. And then to also, you know, say, well, we want, more reading skills being worked on and less reading worksheets being worked on and things like that. So we, you know, as a school made it, made those changes. And we also kind of said we had reading tutors and uh, reading specialists and kids were, we were seeing that kids were getting intervention year after year after year. And I was like, why do we have a kid start in first grade getting reading intervention and they're still getting reading intervention in fourth grade? it's not working. (laughs) So, you know, we, we said, um, we need to have a more aggressive approach to our intervention and, and kids need to be, you know, have an intervention and then get them out because, you know, we've done the job. We shouldn't just be passing them along and keeping the same kids and, you know, either the program's not working that we're using or so we looked at things like that. Um, the next level I looked at was our special education population. Um, same kind of thing. Kids weren't making progress. And, um, I mean, when I looked at the, you know, the the initial MCAS data, it was frightening that the growth, which was pretty much non-existent in my um, special education population, and nobody had looked at that. And so I, you know, put it up on a screen and said, uh, this is pathetic. We got to do something different. And I basically took a team of teachers and I said, I have this idea, but I want to see what ideas you have. My idea was co-teaching. I didn't tell them that. Um, I put them in a room I gave them like a half a day and I said, come up with a plan and present it to me of how we're going to, and I started with just one grade. I said, how are we going to fix this? So they came back to me and they said, well, we want to try something. We want to take just our math students, just in fourth grade. And we want to co-teach the special ed teacher and the regular teacher. And I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. <laughs> and, you know, in my head, I was like, oh, that worked because yeah. that's what I wanted them to say. And so we started that year co-teach, a co-teaching model just with one class. And it, it was a hit and it was successful. So the next year I um, challenged them and we, we kicked it up a notch and we said, we're going to have a whole class that is going to co-teach I'm going to put a special ed teacher, a regular teacher, and a para, three adults in a room, and we're not going to pull any kids out. Everything that they get is going to be in that room for the year, and let's see what happens. And again, the year went by, and I mean, the the success that we saw in that one room, kids, um, that kids jumped up four or five reading levels. They, in November, they came to me and they said, oh, we have a problem. And I said, what's up? And they said, well, all of the kids have met their benchmark goals on the IEP. And I said, what's the problem? <laughs> and they're like, well, that's never happened before. We have to actually write new goals, you know, like, what? and I said, well, that's what's supposed <laughs> to happen. <laughs> right, right. So then fast forward to seven years later, you know, I have since left that school, uh, you know, but um, the year after I left, the school was notified that we received, um, we were one of the top 50 schools in the state of Massachusetts for academic achievement out of elementary, middle and high school. Um, So I would say 
that that was a huge success. And yeah, yeah you, you know, could call that a success. <laughs> <laughs> and but it took time. It took a long time, and it took a lot of work. But it, I do feel like looking back on it, you know, yeah, I had a big part to do with it. But it was the staff as well that they. I really empowered them to, you know bring about that change um, because they were a great staff. And, you know, so like the data just didn't make sense when I came to that school, when it's, when we started to look closer, it made sense, but it didn't make sense for the staff that were there because they were working hard. They were strong teachers and, you know, it was just kind of putting some of the right things in place for them. And then, you know, the the co-teaching model, we actually ended up expanding it um, till to the point where we had a co-teaching model in second, third and fourth grade. Um, So that, and the parents, the parent feedback, I mean, you know, there's data that the academic achievement is great and that's wonderful, but the parents, that was like the most meaningful feedback was they said, my kid loves school. You know, my kid has a learning disability, but they love coming to your school and they are learning. And I am seeing that. And I was like, I'll take that any day of the week over the MCAS data right, and the right. you know, academic that's data. That's, that's, that's fantastic. You know, okay. So for anybody listening to this, not if you're listening in your car, but um, for anybody listening to this needs to stop, hit rewind and grab a <laughs> notebook because you just... <laughs> You, I asked for a story. I didn't know you were going to give a class. I, I wanted to ring a bell, like classes and session on how to how to support, engage, empower teachers. That was yikes. Um, <laughs> there's a lot there. So, so just so I can go back and and reiterate some of this because you actually laid out basically a roadmap, and I really like how you you wrapped it up and said, "Look, the, the teachers were hardworking, and you know that's the idea that everyone's doing the best they can. If they could do better, they would." And that doesn't mean that they're not trying to do better or anything like that if they're not getting the results. Sometimes those just re- results just need to be focused in a certain way. So if I could, I came up with, and we can talk about this after, Liz Garden's Eight Steps to Change. Um, so you mentioned the first thing you did, and I, I have to say this because this obviously people can't see you, but um, you have a set of earrings on that are, are rather large and they say be brave on them. They're black and they've got the, this big be brave and white right. writing. I love them because the first step is be brave. You need to honestly ID the issue. So many times in leadership, we we try to step lightly around what the real deal is, but you need to be brave, ID the issue. And then the second step is you got to start from the beginning. Once you get the issue, just if you have to tear down a whole curriculum, if you have to do whatever, you got to start from the beginning to build something useful. Three was clean up communication. So make sure you're communicating clearly with your staff as to what's going on, things like that. And, you know, by the way, this goes for teachers communicating with leaders as well. Mm -hmm. The teachers need to communicate with their colleagues, with leaders clearly so that we are all on the same page. The fourth one was be consistent in creativity around problems. I absolutely love this is this is a diamond of this. this. I, I never even thought about it until you said it. You wrapped up the curriculum, you sold it and used the money to buy books for the classroom. I I love it. And I, I, I might have not asked for permission when I did that. I, I was like, after the fact with the business manager, I'm like, this is okay, right? I mean, like I just, and he's like, uh, I don't know, I got to check. And I'm like, okay, well, it's already been done. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did it. You make it so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's that whole easier to, to obtain forgiveness than permissions thing. I don't know. But that, that was, you know, so often we get caught with things and money's a big thing. And the mm-hmm. idea that you thought, hey, well, I'll just box this up, sell it and I'll use the proceeds to to get what I need. 
And then the fifth one was the consultant piece, or no, the fifth one was re, report your observations objectively. And this goes right around the whole idea of, look, when somebody falls short of something, we want to depersonalize that failure. And then we want to personalize their successes. So they didn't fail because of themselves. They failed because maybe they just need to adjust how they're approaching things. And then we want to acknowledge them. Like you said, you acknowledge people whenever they're doing something that you're modeling and that you want done. Mm -hmm. The next one was then get outside help if needed. Like you got a consultant and things like that, because that also gives objective observations. Yeah. And I forgot to share. I mean, when we were rolling out the co-teaching model, um, I took my teachers on field trips and we went, we found other schools that were using co-teaching. Um, and we went and we spent time with them and, you know, then we would meet, we would say, you know, well, we didn't like, you know, how this school did it because like, we could walk in and we could totally tell who the kids on IEPs were. We don't want anybody to know who our kids are. We want them to uh, to be seamless, you know? So just to, um, and teachers love that being able to go and observe somewhere else, talk with, you know, so I, so if, if you're ever, if you ever any, and I love to do, I've done that for a couple different things. Like if you ever, you know, are trying to change something or roll something out, go on field trips and go observe because somebody else has already done it. So, I mean, you know, right, usually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, and people are willing to share, mm. you know, so often. And I don't know if they're, because so many people talk about shame and, and embarrassment and stuff like that. And, but there's no shame in wanting to see how somebody else did it. And it's, it's yeah. not about, hey, check me out. I'm doing this or I'm special or, oh, gee, they're doing that and I'm not. Yeah, I, you know, there are so many and maybe this is a plug for MSAA. There, there are so many <laughs> yes. um, administrators in Massachusetts that when when all of us get together, there's so many ideas and so much support and everybody's willing to support everybody, but it's not always out there um, right. as clear just because of time crunches. The The next thing I, I was looking at was the whole empowerment piece, you know, empower the key people where you could have easily said, look, I know co-teaching works. I know a certain model of co-teaching works. I can get you training and everything. But rather than do that, having the teachers go into a room and come out and say, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to co-teach. <laughs> That's awesome because it's their idea. Yeah, you were thinking mm -hmm. of it, but then it's their idea and they buy it. And uh, then the last one, the eighth, the eighth and final one is return to step one for, for any new issues you may be looking at, whether it's, whether it's, You've solved the literacy one. Now you need to look at the SPED one. Now you need to look at the other one. Um, or the importance of iterating on that issue that you have, making it grow like you did with the co-teaching. You know, once you've got an answer that's working, go ahead and iterate. It takes time, mm -hmm. but it but it's so worth it. So that's yep. your... Great. Let me, I'm going to write those down so that I... <laughs> there you go. I'm like, you. wow, I sound, I sound really good. <laughs> that might have something to do with you being really good. <laughs> but... I mean, that's, uh, that's a great thing. And, you know, I look, we, anybody listening to this knows that it's not all sunshine and roses, not everything's a success or anything like that. You gave me such a, a key thing to what was successful there. Do you have anything that didn't work that you can just touch on a little bit and maybe how, how you got, how you got through that or, or how leaders can help teachers get through things? Yeah. I mean, you know, like, and I don't know if it's like that it didn't work, but it was definitely, you know, there's always resistors. I mean, so when, like, for example, when, when, you know, I, here I am coming in when I was new, you know, to the building. So I'm still trying to work on earning trust and everything. And, you know, who's this, who's this chick? What does she know? Like, you know, she just started here. Like, you know, so there were definitely times where there were some teachers that would say to me, 
um, you know, as we were changing kind of how we were doing our literacy instruction, like one, one, I remember one teacher was like, well, you know, we have a school library, so I don't need a library in my classroom. And I, I said, mm, yeah, you do. Um, you know, so, I mean, sometimes it was having some difficult conversations and me really saying, listen, trust me, you know, uh, and, you know, being the closer that I am, I had sort of done something similar in a previous district. So I said, (laughs) you know, I just did this and here's how it worked out. So could you try this out for me? And if it doesn't work, you know what, we'll, we'll do your method. Um, and so having some of those hard conversations and same thing, like with just the, you know, switching to how the teachers had been used to teaching with, kids doing packets and worksheets and things like that. And me saying, no, 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 no. Like let's, um, you know, I, I just had a lot of, you know, I think just being open to having the conversations and listening, um, you know, so those, those were definitely things that didn't work. I think also, um, you know, at the same time, like the, the special ed, regular ed um, battle was a big one and a big hurdle to get through because that was not just kind of a, it had been sort of the culture of the building. And then you have the individual personalities of the teacher. And um, so I did a lot of work around uh, with the book, um, Thanks for the Feedback. And I, number one, read the book myself and, you know, and um, sticky noted it up and, and I would literally bring it out in some of the meetings I would have. And I would say, you know, like I've learned a lot about this. And, and I think when I'm hearing and seeing you guys interact in certain ways, I'm thinking that people aren't hearing each other and people aren't appreciating each other or giving feedback to each other the way that, you know, is the best. And, and so I would offer up, I mean, I was kind of a mediator for a lot of discussions where I said, you know, this isn't me being your evaluator. This isn't me, um, you know, forcing you to hold hands. This is me just sitting here and like you talk and she talks and he talks and then, okay, I'll, I'll interject and things that I think that I see. And then it went so far as actually, you know, once we got into the co-teaching model, for example, you know, that was a big change where I I said, okay, this means that, you know, you're going to be sharing a classroom, you're going to be planning together, you're going to, you have to be really like one, you know, you're, you're not going to like, you're not going to have like my kids and her kids. And, you know, and so I had to, you know, sit, sit down with some of the staff and I actually plan, co-planned with them for a while because it was a big change, you know, um, and, and having difficult conversations too around, like I said, you know, that I said, well, like we really don't have room for two desks in the, in the classroom, you know? So like, could you guys either do away with desks or could you share a desk, you know? And that, and that's like your personal thing, your desk, you know, as a teacher is like a big deal. So having those open conversations, I think, um, you know, so it's not like those were like, it didn't work. It was just that those were definitely road bumps that I had to kind of make sure that I was willing to take the time to listen to people to, you know, I mean, there were tears and there were, you know, like individual meetings and then, but then we worked through it. Um, and so it just, it just meant that, you know, I really need to, to kind of listen and guide them in the, in those interpersonal skills. That's awesome. We, you know what you, you've mentioned so much <laughs> in just in your first one with all those steps with uh, that story. And then what you were just talking about, around, around the whole idea of building trust and listening and the importance in bringing about change through using those skills. What I'd like to do is take a break real quick from our, uh, for our sponsors to listen to our sponsors. When we come back, um, we can talk about some of those key things that you've brought out in your stories and things like that. 
um, that leaders can do to better support, engage, and empower teachers. Today's podcast is brought to you by Better Leaders, Better Schools, who put out a great newsletter every Sunday called The Weekend Resource. This newsletter provides incredible value, sharing tremendous leadership resources from across a variety of resources. And I personally love the inspiring quote at the end of each weekend resource because I can use it with my staff. Subscribe by visiting betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash weekend dash resource. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, and we're back with Liz. And and like I told you, she's um, she's leaving all kinds of knowledge all over the place and skills and steps and stuff like that. Um, but what I wanted to do was ask ask you if if there are some key things that you use, like your go-tos that you use to support, engage, and empower your teachers. Because you talk a lot about listening. You talk a lot about feedback and change and building trust. And I'm just wondering if you if you have some of those go-tos. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like I, I feel like I have a lot. And I feel like that's, you know, super important because I mean I can't do my job or get anything accomplished if I don't have the staff that I have with me to, you know, uh, to, to do all of it. So, and, and I also think I learned a lot from being a teacher that I didn't always have the leader that I think I am, you know, and I, I never want one of my staff members to feel like, um, I don't support them and I'm not, you know, encouraging them and supporting them and, and pushing them. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's things like, and, and when, you know, the story I told about that school I was in, I've done that in every school. Um, I have, I, when I come in new to a, a school, um, I really, I sit down with every staff member, you know, and I tell them I have no agenda in this meeting. Um, I just want to get to know you and I want you to get to know me. It, it could be, sometimes the meetings are like, them asking questions about me of who I am. Sometimes the meetings are me asking them questions, but just starting off with that, I feel like is so important. And, um, and I, you know, I, I have sort of been typecast where I've come into schools where there, there was not that relationship. Um, and so there's a little bit of PTSD that I have to work through where, you know, some of them are, are like, what, what do you mean you want to know about me? <laughs> right, um, right. You know, and so, so sometimes it's working through that, but, you know, just having those individual meetings and conversations so that then, I mean, you know, especially last year, I mean, I'm grateful that I'm in my fourth year at the school I'm in now. Thank goodness that I had the foundation I had going into, well, the last two years really, because, you know, I had staff members 
you know, they might be texting me late at night because something's happened in their family and they're, you know, they're, they want to let me know and they want to just know, know, let me to know. They want to tell me their plan of action and things like that. I have had lots and lots and lots of therapy sessions in my office of, um, you know, teachers crying and, and it could be school related. It could be, um, personal related and, you know, they, but they feel comfortable enough to do that. And I, I want that to be the case. I, I, I just uh, interviewed somebody the other day for a position and the person had really good questions. And one of the, one thing they asked me was like, you know, do you, do you have an open door policy? And, and she's like, I mean, everybody says they do, but do you really? And so I kind of looked at my AP and I, and she was like, you know, go ahead and tell her. And I said, not only do I have an open door <laughs> policy, I said, you know, like, I mean, people have my personal cell number, people have, you know, people know my family, people know where I live. I mean, I, you know, I've had sometimes teachers have come to my house to like, you know, out school grounds to just have a conversation and, or I've gone to them, you know? So, I mean, I said, there's not only an open door. I said, I don't think there's a door that's on the hinges, you know, like, I mean, I, I'm not usually in my office that much anyways, but so, you know, I think like, like the biggest, you know, there's a lot of bags of tricks of like little things that I, you know, do to appreciate my staff and to earn their trust. But that the first, it starts first with that, you know, um, having the conversation and without an agenda, basically, you know, um, cause I actually, I've had some um, other principals tell me, you know, oh yeah, I've done that. But I, you know, I always ask every person the same three questions, you know, and, and I'm in a, of a different philosophy. I think I respect that and that's fine, but I don't do it like that. I, I do it, you know, it's, it's like whatever they want to share and whatever they want to know. Um, and it's different for every person. Um, so that's, that's, you know, a main one. Um, and, but then I, I think I keep, you know, I keep that, that kind of mentality going throughout the whole year. And, and I just actually sent it out this week. I do a survey every year for my staff. You know, if they filled it out already, they don't need to fill it out again. It's just a Google form. But um, so for my new staff, I say, you know, you want to fill this out because you're going to get something out of this. And it's things like, you know, obviously like their t-shirt size. And, you know, I, if I buy the staff shirts, it could be their favorite flower. Um, it could be, you know, what's a name and an address of someone that would like to get a positive phone call or a card from me, you know, appreciating you. And that, that one blows them away usually because they're like, you mean you're going to like call my husband? and tell them I'm doing a good job. And, and I said, I might, <laughs> you know, or it could be like, you know, what's, what's if one thing that you could have in your classroom, you know, that's not on any wish list, like, what is it? And, you know, or what's your favorite restaurant? So, and then I use that throughout the year. And I mean, I do something different every year, you know, like one year I focused on the flowers, for example. And so every couple of weeks, about three or five staff members would find their favorite flower, you know, a couple of them on their desk or in their room and, you know, just like a, yeah, out of the blue. Um, and people are blown away by that. I mean, my, my favorite is to send cards or phone calls to family members. Um, you know, some years I've done um, to on Thanksgiving, I mailed out, you know, um, Thanksgiving cards to um, family members. And, um, my husband was like, listen, don't you have a stamp machine at school? <laughs> and I was like, or he's like, you know, don't you have a mailbox at school? And I was like, no, no, these are going to like, you know, this teacher's mom who lives in New Jersey. And then she's like, what? Um, but I have had then family members. I had one year, I had a 99 year old, uh, mother of one of my teachers. We were pen pals. She kept, she wrote back to me. She was like, no one has ever awesome. told me 
that my daughter is doing a great job and I know she is, but no one's ever told me that. And, you know, like, so she would write to me. <laughs> so that's funny. That's that. That's such a great idea and so powerful. And I have to encourage anybody that doesn't do that to do that. I heard that. Oh, I don't know how many years ago at a national principals conference from Jimmy Casas, where he mentioned that. And um, I've done it a few times where I call up the parent and I say, you know, you don't know me, but mm-hmm. I'm Chris Jones. And um, that is so powerful to reach out to uh, a family member of a teacher. But it's funny because we have, we have a couple parallels as far as like, you know, doing things like that. I too do a survey with, you know, what's your favorite snack, stuff like that. And even more so something that rang true to me is the idea that um, a lot of why I am the way I am or why I lead the way I lead is because of poor examples that I've had coming up where I've looked at them and I'd say, well, I, I never want to be that, you know? So it's really interesting. That's such a powerful thing, but uh, I do, we're getting near the end and uh, I have to ask mm-hmm. two questions at the end of every one of these episodes. And um, they, they usually listed a couple more questions depending on the answers that you give me. But um, the first one is all about you. The second one is all about the listeners. Mm-hmm. If you were not a leader, who, not what would you be and why? So, well, you know, we haven't really talked about a whole lot about my book obsession, but um, I would... I would totally love to be like a children's book author or illustrator or both. You know, I like it is, I always tell people in my next life, that's what I'll be. I feel it with all my bones. I totally believe it that books change lives, books save lives, book books um, are magical. And to be able to, you know, if I couldn't be a leader where I get to, I feel like, you know, we have a magical job, we get to change lives and save lives and, you know, grow people. So then, you know, the next best thing would be able to be an author and to be able to reach, you know, so many um, kids of all ages and adults through the words that I write on a page um, or the, you know, the illustrations that I draw on a page um, and to be able to just, you know, tell stories. I think that would be, that would be amazing. So, so talk to me about this a little bit. Illustrator, do you have a talent? I don't know. I do actually, I do actually love art too. I mean, um, I, uh, my brother is an artist. um, So, and my mom was somebody who kind of, she was a teacher, but she self-taught herself to paint. So I grew up in a house of, you know, um, a creative house. And I, I actually have um, in my office, uh, I have a desk that I, um, when I was a teacher, I, I got it at a thrift store and I painted it. It's my writing desk and it is the legs or pencils. You know, the top of the desk has um, like a notebook paper that looks like the start of different stories. And Come in the drawers, on. if they say open me and in the drawers are words for like, you know, it could be like one drawer, I think has like verbs, different verbs, choices. And one drawer has like Come action on. words. And so when my kid, my students, now I had it in my classroom and now I have it in my office at school. And so kids love to come and sit at it and, um, you know, explore the, the writing desk and, and write at the writing desk. I, I couldn't be happier. I asked that question. <laughs> That's awesome. You like, and I mean, I, I love art. Um, I'm a big supporter of the art, uh, of the arts. I, I would like to draw, but I'm more in love with the theory or the idea of drawing. Once I see how well I draw, um, I'm not, I'm not that great at it, but, um, I, I love that yeah. desk thing that 
that's fantastic. That's almost something that should be in almost every English teacher's room. <laughs> I actually, well, so the funny story about that desk is that, um, so I had it uh, when I taught second grade, I had done it in my class one year. And I have a student who now she is a, I think she just graduated this past year. She's a nursing, she's a nurse. But when she was in second grade, she was, you know, a, a fellow reading addict, writer, whatever. So I stayed in touch with her family. And um, I think, so like she, she nominated me like when she was in middle school as like a teacher that impacted her. So, you know, she wrote, gave a speech about me and my, and the writing desk. And then when she, um, I think when she was in high school, um, her mom got back in touch with me and said, you know, I want to give her a Christmas present of this desk. And, but if you were to paint her one of her own, so I did, I painted her a writing desk. Um, hers is a little bit different and, uh, it was bigger and the drawer. I remember they were fur lined and then I pulled up the, the bottom of them and I painted an inscription like in underneath it. So that was like a hidden thing in her desk. But she is the only other person that has another writing desk uh, made by me. And, um, you know, I'm still in touch with the family. And um, but that was, you know, that was her big Christmas present one year was the writing desk that I um, made for her. <laughs> that is awesome. I now here's the thing. And um, I'm going to say this. And I, I know my wife listens to the podcast, so she might get surprised. Do I need like permission from you or anything if I paint my wife a writer's desk and make her a writer's desk? No, you don't need permission. <laughs> I'll send you pictures of the one I did. That's awesome. And then you can, you know, get some ideas. It's very easy. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like... Right? I, I think every writer should have a painted writer's desk uh, because, you know, it's just, it's inspiration. I mean, my when I had it in my second grade classroom, I mean, the kids you know, my, even my most reluctant writers, you know, if they got a chance to sit at the writing desk, you know, that was like a big deal and they wanted to write, you know, so. <laughs> How can you not want to write when you're sitting at that <laughs> desk? <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's, that's great. The next question I want to ask you, which um, brings us to the end here is um, this is it. This is the, this is the, the crucial moment of the, of the okay. podcast. No pressure. <laughs> um, What's the most, you know, you've said a ton that I could just go through and I I could go through five times and each time find something different that is a great piece of advice. But what's the most important piece of advice, if you had to pick one, that you would give to leaders as they work to improve how they support, engage, and empower teachers? I think, um, you know, I, I use, there's a quote that I use all the time. I say it all the time. I, I can't remember if it's actually Todd Whitaker, if it was from one of his books, but Maybe it is. I could be misquoting him. I don't know, but that it's the people, not the programs. Um, you know, I think that I always say, you know, we are in the business of um, humans, <laughs> and um, you know, so so often we get bogged down in you know programs and paperwork and uh, policies and procedures, and at the end of the day, none of that matters. If, if, you know, if you're not doing everything you can for your people and with your people and, and remembering that they are human <laughs> and we are, you know, we are not, we're not unbreakable. <laughs> and although last year, they, they tried close. last year, they tried. Um, <laughs> oh boy, boy, was it close. Um, but, um, you know, that it, it's, you, you, that is like, 
that is what I hope that every administrator always remembers and always fights for, because I do think that that message gets lost the higher up you go on the ladder, um, that it, it, it's, it's humans, it's people, and that is always how you're going to be successful if you keep that in mind. And with that, we have reached the end. I couldn't think of a better way to end this. Liz, <laughs> you've said so much today and so many valuable things today. Um, I can't thank you enough for being on. And I can't imagine that people aren't going to want to want to get in touch with you after this because just because of your ideas and stories. So what's the best way somebody could um, get in touch with you? Yeah, a couple of ways. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely big on Twitter. So I'm at Principal Garden on Twitter. So it's pretty easy. Um, and then I, my email address is Liz underscore garden at WRS as in snake D.net. And then I'm also on Boxer. Um, same thing at Principal Garden. So all those different ways, um, please reach out. And um, I love to talk shop with everybody and answer questions or give advice or support to other that, leaders. That's and awesome. And, and um, I'll, I'll put all that in the show notes and everything. And um, you are um, a book addict, self-proclaimed book addict. So <laughs> people should also check out your blog <laughs> at musings to oh, motivate, yeah. um, which I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes. And um, for those of you who are sometimes shy, I do have to say, and I hope this isn't putting you on the spot, Liz, or um, my my wife in any way. There was just a conference, a PD conference Liz presented at it. My wife is a seventh and eighth grade English teacher and reached out to Liz and Liz got her some resources and all of that. So if you do reach out, Liz does get back in touch with you. <laughs> so, totally. totally. Um, again, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And um, I can't wait to talk to you again sometime. Sounds good. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Jigsaw Learning. Whether you lead at the school, district, or division level, you're serving a wide array of students, and you know that no one person has all the answers when it comes to meeting each of their needs. That's why Jigsaw Learning helps leaders and their staff and faculty to develop a collaborative approach. Every child deserves a team, and when you put together the pieces of effective collaboration, you can realize that team's full potential. Connection, relationships, and authentic collaboration are at the foundation of Jigsaw Learning's work. Through professional learning presented on-site, online, or a blend of both, Jigsaw's team of experienced learning associates works with you to develop a personalized plan to help collaborative response thrive in your organization. Learn why educators have described working with Jigsaw Learning as powerful, wonderful, and beneficial for all students. Visit jigsawlearning.ca and connect with the team for information. That's jigsawlearning.ca.
There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.